0: Years later, I smile to think of that journey, the borders we must cross separately, stamped with our unanswerable woes. Beloveds, the largest, but certainly not the only, unanswerable woe facing humanity right now is COVID-19 which as of this writing has killed 271,398 people in the United States and 1,454,982 people worldwide. This morning, I will be talking about grief, about those borders we must cross separately and the work of naming and uplifting our grief in shared spaces. While it can be so important and healing work for us to do together, I wanted to state that up front and ask that you be gentle with yourselves. Take time. Not one of us is untouched by this pandemic, though of course its impact is felt differently for each of us. First, let me name those losses again. 271,398 dead in the United States, 1,454,982 dead worldwide. I invite you to sit for a few minutes in silence with these numbers, these lives. Whether they are abstract to you or painfully concrete, please take a moment now to pause to reflect on these many lives lost. We honor these losses by naming them In addition to the loss of life, there are so many other losses. Jobs lost, opportunities lost, connections lost. Despite its complications, Thanksgiving is an important holiday in the United States. And so many of our celebrations this week were lost, changed. Relationships lost, sources of comfort and community lost. While we cannot name each one for each person, we carry with us the weight of how it has affected us in our own bodies, in our own lives, and in our own beloved communities. And Naomi Shihab Nye's poem that Reverend Carl shared with us takes us through one way of thinking about the process of grieving, a fear, the life sliding out of me, a drum in the desert, harder and harder to hear, followed by a question, how do you know if you're going to die, followed by a journey, still lying in the back seat behind all of my questions. When I read this poem, I think not so much of the journey of one individual's grief over one specific loss, but over the collective grief journey that all of humanity has been on this year. First, the fear. Fear so often grows out of that which is unknown. There have been novel virus strains before, other novel coronavirus strains such as SARS, other pandemics, other unknown illnesses that moved with devastation through the human population. There was no one moment, one specific instance where everyone could say, I remember where I was when the pandemic started. A classic definition of collective grief means the grief of a community or nation, um, means when the grief of a community or nation coalesces around one particular instance. Just last Sunday, we noted the 57th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. There are moments around which we gather as a city or as a congregation, as a family or as a nation, Those moments we can sum up with a single question. Where were you when you heard the president had been killed? Where were you when you learned about the attacks on September 11th, 2001? What were you doing when you first heard about the death of Prince or Michael Jackson or Princess Diana? Do you remember when you first heard about the Columbine shootings? The very asking of those questions begins the act of collective grief. This brings in the second stanza of our poem the point of view of a young child in the back seat on a long car trip with their family, asking, How do you know when you're going to die? The child's mother is able to give an answer with strange confidence when you can no longer make a fist. In the poem, A curious child is given a confident answer by a parent, and that removes that sense of unknowing that the fear arises from. The child has a a stomach ache or other ailment. The implication in the poem is that the parent knows it is not serious, but the child feels fear because they don't understand what is happening to their body. By giving an answer when you can no longer make a fist, it gives the child a certainty the child as an adult, the narrator of the poem, thinks back to that journey. I, who did not die, who am still living, still lying in the back seat with, behind all my questions, clenching and opening one small hand. It's a brilliant answer that the child's mother gives. It's a distraction. Can I still make a fist? I must be okay. Clench, open. I must be okay, clench, open, I must be okay. It's like a mantra with movement, a silent reaffirmation that what the child fears has not come to pass. Collective grief around a single event with a specific moment of occurrence may coalesce in many recognizable and familiar ways. We fly flags at half mast, we hold vigils, we hold public funerals, we light candles, We sing, we pray, we cry, we tell stories. We make memorials. First, the artwork and the flowers and the stuffed animals left at the location of the tragedy. And then perhaps later, a more formalized and permanent memorial may be made. These acts are us clenching and reopening our fists. Collectively, we have suffered loss. Collectively, the rest of us affirm in part through these acts of memorial. Collectively, we are still here. Grief and loss, not just over a death, but over every loss can feel very isolating. We must cross each border separately. There is sometimes a deeply lonely response to this grief and this loss. We may feel as though no one has ever suffered a loss like the one that we have suffered. And in that strange way of our complicated, interconnected lives, that is both true and not true simultaneously. Every week during our ritual of naming joys and sorrows, a ritual itself changed by the pandemic and our moving to Zoom worship so as to care for and protect our beloved community, we note that a sorrow shared is a sorrow diminished. This is the idea behind collective rituals and memorials of grief. When we lost John Lewis in July of this year, public portions of the funeral rituals were televised so that people all across the country could bear witness to that loss. I remember watching and weeping as his coffin was drawn across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Alabama on a horse-drawn caisson, recreating the route of the bloody Sunday march from Selma to Montgomery and honoring the place where he had been so grievously injured during that march. Though I could not personally be present at this public act of mourning, it felt healthy and good to honor the life of this great man in this way. There has been a marked lack of public memorial during the pandemic. In many ways, this is understandable. As noted before, there was no single starting point. There was not one collective moment where we all knew, this is where I was when the coronavirus pandemic began. And of course, it's still ongoing. Although we see the bright light held up for us by the hard work of dedicated researchers and scientists to create vaccines, We are also still in the middle of the pandemic. It feels wonderful to be moving toward that light, but we also know we have more dark days ahead of us before we get there. More than the larger public memorials, we must also acknowledge in this time that even the personal and private acts of mourning, the funerals and wakes, the family waiting at the bedside of the beloved, even these, constitute their own loss. Right now, even if we did not lose our loved ones to the pandemic, we cannot gather in the way that we so often do in grief. It's harder and more complicated to hold a funeral, to hold a viewing, to hold a repast, to simply and literally hold one another. This hurts us. There will be complicated grief for years to come for individuals, communities, and families. Entire segments of the population are frontline workers, those who take our temperatures, bag our groceries, who stock our shelves, keep our hospitals open and running as best they can. will also bear an exhaustion, not just in their bodies, but in their spirits. The emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual depletion that these folks in frontline jobs are suffering will last. We will all feel it directly or indirectly. We are feeling it right now. It's hard to stop. It's hard to name it. It's hard to just sit with this pain. And to speak of Honoring it, how on earth do we begin? Let me gently guide us back to the last stanza of the poem that we're using as a bit of a roadmap today. Years later, I smile to think of that journey, the borders we must cross separately, stamped with our unanswerable woes. I who did not die, who am still living, still lying in the back seat behind all my questions, clenching and opening one small hand. This poem ends as a a positive recollection, an adult looking back with real fondness and love at the small and worried child who rode in that back seat, trying to contain both the discomfort and reassurance of their body. The talisman they hold, the clenching and opening fist, comforts them still. When I spoke of watching some of the public acts of memorial held for the life of John Lewis this summer, I noted it felt healthy and good to honor his life in that way. The thing about grief, the unavoidable truth, is that it is inevitable as long as we are in the world as long as we are living beings who make connections with other living beings in our vast interconnected web of existence. I'm fairly certain that each of you has, if not laughed outright, at least smiled at some point during a wake or a viewing or a funeral or a memorial service. We tell the stories of those we have lost. Years from now, those of us still living, those of us still clenching our fists and opening them again will tell stories of the way we handled Thanksgiving during the pandemic, the ways that we handled school during the pandemic, the ways we handled dating during the pandemic, the ways we handled shopping, cooking, cleaning, the ways we handled our friendships, the ways we taught our technology-resistant loved ones about the joys and sorrows of Zoom and FaceTime and Skype and Google Meet. Grief is a healthy, loving, important response. When we name our losses, we are also saying, this mattered to me. This person's life mattered. This job mattered. This ability to travel mattered. This time my life was completely turned upside down matters because there was so much to lose. There was so much to learn anew. We cross each border separately stamped with unanswerable woe. What is the question our woe would ever hope to answer? Is it perhaps the question of our being here at all? Why me? Why now? Who else? When else? While we are here, we move through each stage presented to us, holding our fists, holding our hands to one another, drawing ever larger circles with our love and our loss, seeing how big our grief is, learning in ourselves that it is big enough to hold all of us. I'd like to close with a brief meditative practice This practice is adapted from one actually in Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone's Active Hope, uh, which was itself adapted from ancient Buddhist practices of cultivating compassion. Compassion, after all, means to feel with or even to suffer with. So I invite you to settle into a comfortable position, whatever that means for you at home in the space where you are now. You can close your eyes or leave them slightly open, downcast or unfocused. Let yourself sit with an awareness of your breath. You don't have to change the way you breathe. Just let it happen. As you sit with your breath, notice that it occurs without your will or conscious decision. You are breathing and being breathed by life itself. The entire web of interconnected existence is breathing, being breathed by life itself. Take a moment to visualize your breath as an actual stream or ribbon of air, up through your nose, down through your windpipe, into your lungs, and imagine it moving out through your heart, flowing through your heart and moving outside the stream, the ribbon of your own breath leaving your body to join with the web of all life. Now I invite you to bring your hand up to gently hold the imagined ribbon of your breath. You may make a fist to honor our poetic image today or just hold it gently. Listen to this brief litany of loss and grief. And as you hear each loss or grief lifted, I invite you to be holding your hand close enough to feel your out breath. Feel the movement of breath across your hand. You can speak words of affirmation to these or just breathe. For all lives affected by the pandemic. For all lives lost and for those forever changed. For all the families, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, neighbors, classmates, teammates of anyone who has been affected by COVID-19. For every loss you feel in your heart, every missed opportunity, every canceled plan, every day you did not change out of pajamas. We miss the people and things we love precisely because we love them. We shape our world by them and right now, it feels misshapen and unfamiliar. Our love, even when it is wearing the cloak of grief, the weeds of mourning, it's what connects us. We are connected. When we feel our hearts breaking, know that the heart that breaks open can hold more than ever before. Our broken, open hearts will help us to create a world after the pandemic, a world informed by the deep suffering and compassion we have shared. So may it be. You may open your eyes. You may lower your hands if you did raise them or if they were still raised, and dear ones, You may hold your broken hearts close, even as they go through the pain of expanding to hold more of this beautiful, complicated world.